0: So let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3, covering verses 11 to 24. Let's open in prayer. Father, we lift up this time this morning, Lord, and Lord, we want to lift you up. Lord, we want to glorify you this morning. And uh, Lord, we just, even in the songs that we sang this morning about your love, Lord, this incredible love that you have for each of us, for this world. And Lord, help us, Lord, to grab hold of that. Help us to be able to take to heart and and have a greater understanding of how great your love is towards us. And Lord, that it might have an effect on the way that we love others. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message Love in Action. And just as I'm going through 1 John and doing doing the studies I am, I, it's just incredible how much John speaks about the love of God in this letter. It's something that is a lifelong endeavor for us as Christians is to come to know in a greater way the love that God has for you. It's not something that you automatically know. It's actually a, a uh, something that is divinely imparted to you as you grow in your relationship with God. But it's a it's very important, and, and as a matter of fact, it's one of those earmarks, as I have shared, as we've already gone through these three tests you remember what the three tests are in 1 John? We started out with that test of obedience. We could also call it the test of righteousness. But just that desire to be obedient to the things of God is a good indicator if you're a child of God or not. The second test that we took was the test of love. It's that supernatural love. That was placed in your heart the day you believed. John makes it very clear that love is a primary earmark of what a true believer is like and lives like. There's also the third test, and we've already taken all three of these tests it's the test of truth. You see, in the day and age we're living in, where people are questioning what is a Christian? What does an actual Christian look like? How does a Christian behave? What makes a real Christian? We'll call it a real Christian. John brings out these tests so that we can examine ourselves in light of the Word of God. We can put ourselves in our own personal walk up against the Word of God and put ourselves to the test. But his intentions are when we get through these tests, when we get to the end of this letter in chapter 5, that we're going to have a stronger confidence that we truly are a child of God. But if we could say, you know what, I don't know that I've seen any of these changes in my life since I professed to know Christ, then it's not a bad thing for you to make sure of your relationship with Jesus Christ. All three of these tests give us the evidence of a real Christian. Look at back at chapter 2. If you turn back to chapter 2, verse 7, John wrote some similar words to what we're going to be reading today. I want to remind you of it. He says, brethren, uh, obviously using that word brethren, he's speaking to us as Christians. I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now look at verse 9. And you if you have something to write with and you want to underline this, it's a good few words to underline. He who says. The person that says that he's a Christian, let me paraphrase it, and the person that is in the light and hates his brother, John says, is in darkness until now. How are you in the light? How a person is in the light, which speaks of the purity and the holiness of God, of us walking in Him, is when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in the light, then you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So again, John says, he who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Very clear-cut, very distinction. It's a contrast between light and darkness. Look at verse 10. You could underline this. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11. You could underline this. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so this whole issue of love and hate, this contrast is a way that John is using to define what a true Christian is. It's not a good thing to call yourself a Christian, but there is no God's love coming forth out of your life. It's not characteristic of a true Christian. This morning, John is going to uh, talk about this test of love again. Remember, I I said that the tests are going to be brought up again as we go through the remainder of this book. But each time he brings it up now, it's going to be in a practical application. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Some similar words to what we just read in chapter 2. Last Sunday, though, in chapter 3, verse 10, look at your Bible. It says, in this, the children of God and the children of of the devil are manifest. Wow, very clear statement, isn't it? That word manifest means it's, it's made evident. It's made very clear who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness, John says, is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And so he brings out two important statements there. He's saying these are characteristic of a true Christian. This is what a child of God should look like. He should have a desire to live righteously, to follow God in obedience to his word. And he should have a love for his brother. Very clear statements. Someone who professes to know God, but as we read last week, but he commits lawlessness. Lawlessness is a a word that just means without law. In other words, I don't care what God's Word says. And I just continue to live like I used to live before I professed to know Christ But if a person professes to know Christ and does not practice righteousness, I'm going to say that he rightfully, he or she, should question whether or not they know God. I believe that's what John is trying to make a point about. The person also, we can see from verse 10 there, that professes to know God, but does not love his brother, John says that person is in darkness. They're not really a believer. If, If they do not have this supernatural love that's been placed within them coming forth out of their life in any way. I think that we could say that... God's love is active. And that it's the greatest evidence that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you all have memorized, I I, I quite often do this and ask you if you have a verse memorized. The reason why I do that is so that you might write that verse down and you might put it on a post-it note and you might hang it on your mirror or on your dashboard and you would seek to memorize it. This is a good one to memorize. When I say 2 Corinthians 5.17, do you have it memorized already? If you don't, this would be a great one for you to memorize. It'll help you in your walk. It says this, Paul wrote this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, whenever you see this term in Christ, he's talking to Christians, people that are true believers. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, that's characteristic of a true believer. He's not saying that we become perfect. He says that the old way of life, the old way, the old manner in which I lived begins to fade away in the new. My new mindset, my new heart, my, my new goal and reason for living, it's new, it's different. That's what we should be able to see when we give our life to Christ. I have to say that God's in the business of changing people's lives. And if He does that, there will be change in our life. If there is no change at all, we rightfully should question our relationship with God. This supernatural love that a Christian has is not something that's your own love. It's not something now that I gave my life to Christ, I muster up this love for people. It won't happen. You'll never be able to do it in the way that God has called us to love one another. It's a supernatural love. And according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 4, it says that the love of God has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. When did that happen? The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He placed His Holy Spirit in your heart. And by the sheer fact that His Spirit dwells there, His love also dwells in your heart. And it gives you that supernatural ability to love other people like you've never loved them before. That's a work of God. That's something that he does in you and through you, not something that you muster up. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 5. You can turn there if you can get there quickly, but Galatians chapter 5, or write it down, verse 13. Paul says this But you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But then he says this, but through love, serve one another. Now, that's what we're being exhorted to do as Christians towards each other, that we would serve one another in God's supernatural love. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know that if you can just fulfill that one commandment of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbor as yourself, that everything in the Bible you'll fulfill? You'll fulfill it all. You'll do it all. If you can just do those two things. But if you bite and you devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to know what that means when it says walk in the Spirit. I want to walk close to Jesus because if I walk in the Spirit, if I stay close to Jesus, stay in His Word, stay in touch with Him, then I, according to what Paul says, am not going to fulfill the lust of my flesh. That's a good thing to know. For the flesh, it lusts against the Spirit. It's talking about the Spirit of God that lives inside of you as a believer. The flesh, it lusts against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the f- the flesh, in other words, there's a battle that goes on inside. They're contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Have you ever experienced that battle, Christians? Of That flesh and that spirit of God that's in you warring at each other your flesh saying I want to do what I want to do and God's spirit say don't do that don't walk that way don't go that direction don't do you know that's that battle that wages within inside of us but if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident They're evident because these things are easily seen. Listen to the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. He gives this whole list of all of these ugly sins to make this contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. That's the first one on the list of nine. Paul gives this first one this first fruit as being love. In the Greek, the other eight things come out of that word love. And here's the eight things that come out of love. I want you to relate this to your own personal self in your walk with Christ and your walk with one another. The fruit of the spirit is first love. Then it's joy. Joy comes out of love. Peace comes out of love. Long-suffering comes out of love. Kindness comes out of love. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Now, that's... Somebody that is walking in the Spirit. That is someone that is dying to flesh and allowing God's Spirit to come forth out of their, their life towards others. These are the kinds of fruit that we should be able to see in our lives as Christians. It doesn't mean that you have one of them and you don't have all. You know, look, I'm, I'm totally impatient. I'm totally you No, know, if you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, all nine of those fruit dwell in you. So you say, well, why isn't it always evident? Why don't I see it? Because we have flesh. And the flesh gets in the way. And God wants to work all of these things through us, but our flesh stands in the way. And we battle against it at times. Instead of yielding to the work of God's Holy Spirit. Today, John is going to tell us that love is righteousness in action. We talked about righteousness last week. Living right, right living. That love is righteousness in action. As we look in our text this morning, John is going to make reference to brother or brethren. And we could also say sisters, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. When you read your Bible and you read a brother or brethren, he's talking to you as a child of God. He's talking to those that know him as Lord and Savior. And so that's the text that we're in. He's talking about love in this text, and he's speaking to Christians. Now, by the natural sense, when you have a brother or sister... They're your brother and sister by natural birth through the same parent. But in a spiritual union that we have, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you understand that? We become brothers and sisters by the fact that we have a heavenly father that now calls us a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have other brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you see that term in the Bible, speaking to brethren, he's speaking to Christians. I think it's important for us to know that church is not a gathering of church members, per se. Church should not be just a gathering of people that say, well, I'm a member of this church, but that you should be thinking of yourself as gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the difference. One of them can be very religious. (laughs) The other one just says, you know what? What can I do to serve you? You're my brother and sister in Christ. And so let's uh, read our text this morning. Chapter 3, starting in verse 11. I want you to to take notice of a word, though. And it's the, the primary word that I've been talking about already. It's the word love. Now, this word love is found 36 times in 1 John. Seven of those times are in our text this morning that he uses this word love. Let's read it. You can mark it, underline it every time you see the word love pop up. Verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Asking a question. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandment abides in Him and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. That's our text this morning. It's John once again bringing out this issue of love towards Him, towards God this way, but also the love relationship that we have towards one another. Look back at verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love. Now, that word love there in the Greek is agapeo. Agapeo is a verb. It's an action word. Uh, There is also the noun form. Of love. It's in our English Bibles, it says love and it says love. One is a noun, one is a verb. One just speaks of, of what love is, and the other one speaks of love in action. It's why I titled the message that this morning. So here we're talking about that we should love one another, love in action. We started chapter 3, remember, uh, those of you that have been uh, going through all the studies here. In, uh, in chapter 3, we read in verse 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That word love there is the word agape. It's the noun form. It's me coming to have an understanding and knowing how great God's love is towards me. I, I need to know that more and more. We will never exhaust it in this life of how great God's love is for you. As a matter of fact, our, our minds are probably still blown, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, how great is this? I, I can't even wrap my head around how, how He could love me like He does in all of my imperfections, in all of my failures, and He still loves me. That's the kind of love, supernatural love, that God has for this world and has for you. 1 John 4.9, looking ahead, says, In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's how great God's love is towards this world. Agape. He loves you. He loves this world. He died for the sins of this world. It's why the Father sent the Son into the world. So that He might bring us forgiveness of sins and victory over death. Remember, when we started uh, 1 John, I shared that this Letter of 1 John is really a love letter. It's, it's a, it, it, John is referred to as the Apostle of Love. People call him that because he wrote so much about it. In Vine's Dictionary, it's a, it's a Bible dictionary, uh, it, it defines Christian love as this, and I think this is important for us to hear. Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren towards Christians, or towards men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. Does that make sense to you? It's not an impulse, it's not something we make up, it's not something that we do. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it speak Bend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. In other words, it it doesn't just hunt and pick who I want to love. And I I pick who I want to love and who I don't want to love. Love seeks the welfare of all. So as Christians, does that mean we're to love even those that are not our brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes. Why? Because Jesus Christ's love extends towards them. Love uh, love seeks the welfare of all, and it works no ill towards any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men, and especially, and this is according to Galatians 6.10, especially towards those who are of the household of God. So we're called as Christians to love those that are unlovely, the ungodly, those that don't know Christ, but we're also called to especially extend that agape love towards one another. That's Christian love defined. It's how we should operate. It's how we should be living as Christians. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. God's great love towards you. Paul writing to Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. How great is his love? I mean, you, you, will, you will never be able to completely figure it all out. You'll never be able to get your head back. But it's what we should strive to do. I want to know your love. I want to know it in a greater way. I want it to have an effect on me so that it'll have a greater effect on others. Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. You know, you're, we're called to imitate Him. The God of love, Jesus Christ coming to this world to save sinners, because of his love for them. We're called to be imitators. That word imitator means that we're we're called to mimic him. We're called to mimic Jesus Christ as his dear children, it says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us, and given and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice. To God for a sweet smelling aroma. we've been going through Ezra on Wednesday night. We talked about the sin offering and, and the, 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 the Jews coming the burn offering and the sin offering and they, they would take that lamb and put it on the altar and that, that whole lamb would be consumed on that altar for the burnt offering and for the sins of the people. And here Jesus gives himself on that cross as an offering and a sacrifice. And and to God the Father, Jesus Christ, dying on that cross, it was a sweet-smelling aroma because it brought life to you and I. What He did for us on the cross. We're called to be imitators of that. Pretty incredible. In verse 11, we're told that Christians... Believers should love one another. But now in verses 12 and 13, John gives a contrast between love and hate. Uh, Remember these contrasts? They're opposites to bring home a truth. That's why John speaks this way. He says, I'm going to give you one extreme to the other extreme to drive home a point. That's what he does here. In 1 John 2.9, we read about light and darkness and love and hate. And, and, and what you notice about those two things is that they don't mix. Love and hate, light and darkness, they don't mix together, do they? In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, He who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. It, they don't mix In 1 John chapter 4, looking ahead, if if someone says that I love God and hates his brother, John says he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, talking about seen with his eyes, how can he say that he loves God whom he has not seen? How can we say as believers that we love God, but we can't love one another at this level? it doesn't make sense. We say that we love God but you know but I have a problem with people. No it doesn't work that way. The love that God has placed in us enables us to love even the unlovely. It be, it because he loved us when we are yet still in our sin. We're to mimic him. The central truth of our passage this morning, is that we should love by action. Not just word. Not just saying, you know, hey, I love you. Love your brother. Love your sister. You know what I mean? That, that sometimes can be real and sometimes it may not be real. But loving in action is different. Putting feet to our faith and doing something. It's different. He says... In verse 12, look at your Bibles, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, the first recorded murder in the Bible, Cain killing Abel. And why did he murder him? He, he, he just asks the question and then he gives us the answer because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Have you ever noticed that, Christians? That you know, you, you have family members, you have co workers, you have people that. They don't like what you stand for. If you open your mouth about Christ, there's many people that they, they won't like who you are. Especially if you if you try to live a righteous life, a holy life. If you try to live clean before this world, uh, light reveals darkness. Well, who are you? Uh, how, why, are you, so, you know, why are you condemning me? Why are you, you know, and, and because that's what it'll do. Light reveals darkness. It actually exposes evil. Just sometimes your very presence of who you are and you're not even noticing and you just being around people at work or wherever you're at and they notice something in you that's different. It's Christ in you. It's not anything else but that. But they see that there's something different about you. What's interesting to me is that John uses two siblings in our text this morning, Cain and Abel, to show the contrast between love and hate. Two siblings. You know, it's actually a... I start thinking, it's, it's a scary thought to think that within my heart, that I have the capacity to murder? Well, I would never murder anyone. You might say, I, I, I would never murder anyone. But do you know that within the capacity of your heart, your you, you, you have the capacity for murder. That's a heart apart from Christ. Cain murdered his brother A brother that I'm sure that he may have said, "I love you," but he did it because Abel's works or his offering was righteous, and Cain's wasn't. It wasn't an acceptable sacrifice, and Abel's was, and that came back up in Cain's face. And you self-right, you know, you. You know, and and how many of us have experienced that even at a family level, at a next door neighbor level, at a work level? I mean, it it happens, doesn't it? John says, and I'll paraphrase it, brothers and sisters, don't marvel or, or don't be amazed if you live for Christ. That the world is going to hate you. Is that a surprise to anyone here this morning? That the world could actually hate you for being a Christian? Well, if you want to know the reality of that, just turn on your TV. No, don't turn it on, and look at what's going on in our world against Christians that are making look. Look what's going on against some of us here. In our workplace and in in environments where we put ourselves out there in front of people, unashamed that we're a Christian. You'll catch it. The world will hate you. You say, well, then I'm going to just shrink back and crawl under the desk because I don't want anyone hating me. Well, then you're not being a light and a witness. And, And so there is some ramifications when you live for Christ. They come along blessed are you when people will revile you and say all manner against you evil for my name's sake. Jesus says you're blessed you're happy. You should be able to say, "Well, praise the Lord. They're seeing something different and they, and they don't like it." But you know what? Sometimes the people that don't like it are the ones that'll come to know Jesus Christ through your testimony look at your life and they'll see how much you love them in spite of how they treat you and what they say and all of a sudden one day they're going, "Hey, can you tell me something about this Jesus?" Look at verse 14. 14 verses 14 to 16, John tells us what we should know as Christians about his love. And also how we can comprehend the kind of love that God has for us. Verse 14 says, We know. Do you know what the word I've been, those of you that have been going through the studies here, the Greek word for know there? It's Ido. Ido. E-I-D-O. That word Ido means divine knowledge. In other words, it's divine knowledge that is imparted to you. As a child of God from God's Holy Spirit. So when John says, We know as Christians, he's saying and he's assuming that you as a Christian should know this. We know that we have passed from what? Death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. That's a good indicator. That somebody's a child of God. Because we love the brethren, that's a good indicator that I have passed from death to life. There's that contrast again. Why? Because I love the brethren. That's what John's looking for. That's what he's saying. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know, here's that word again, Ido. No murder has eternal life abiding in Him. You say, well, I'm safe there. I've never murdered a soul. But have you ever murdered with your words? Have you ever had a heart of murder towards someone? Jesus says in Matthew, uh, He says that you have heard that it has been said by those of old you shall not murder. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. We think that we escape this because we say, well, I've never murdered anybody physically. Jesus says if you've murdered somebody in your heart, you've committed, if you've murdered with your words, you've committed murder. John says that you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That kind of puts us in a hole in a scary place. No murderer uh, has eternal life abiding in him. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that uh, that no eternal life is abiding in him. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we know this? Do we know this truth? Will there be murderers in heaven? I believe there will be if they've been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Will there be all of that old ugly list that I read you? Will there be those types of people in heaven? There will be those that have been cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We need to, and John does that here. He makes a distinction between those people that say they're Christians, but they live with that whole list of ugly sins and they continue in it and they practice in it. John says that's not characteristic of a believer. as a matter of fact, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. First John 3:16 is a verse that you should memorize. Here it is again. We all have John. How many have John three sixteen memorized? John three sixteen, the most memorized verse in the Bible. But 1 John three sixteen would be another one to memorize. By this we know. Now here's a different Greek word for know. It's the word gnosko. This word gnosko is a knowing that is where you come to understand it through experience. As you grow in your relationship with God, as you grow in your walk, you come to know this love of God in a greater way. So let's read it that way. By this we know love. Because Jesus laid down His life for us and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. He laid down His life for me. Uh, Actually, the old King James uses the word perceive. This is how we perceive. I actually like that. Here's how we perceive the love of God, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought also to lay down our life for one another. To perceive something means that I become aware of something. I come to realize something. I come to understand something about God's love. In other words, I could say, you know, the the best way for me to be able to grasp what we're talking about when we're talking about the love of God is to look at the cross, to look at Jesus on the cross. You see, I, 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 as a father, and, and most of us that are parents here, maybe have done this before. I used to say to my my daughters, you know, how much do you love Dad? You know, how much do you love Dad? They put their hands up i said is that all and and so you get them they, they stretch out their arms is that all and then they're trying to stretch out their arms as far as they can and showing that yeah i have a, a a love for daddy and then you look to the cross and you see jesus arms stretched out on that cross nailed to that cross how do we perceive the love of God? How do we even come to have a greater glimpse of how great that love is towards us? You need to look to the cross. We look at the cross and we see Jesus suffering on that cross for the sins of the world. We were the, should have been the ones on that cross and He hung there on our behalf. It gives us a glimpse into this love of God that we would never know unless we looked to the cross. He laid down His life for us. Literally. But let me ask you a question. I thought about doing an exercise this morning. That exercise would be if I asked you to turn to somebody on your right and your left or your left. And say to them, you may not even know them. I would lay down my life for you. Why don't we do that? Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, you think, well, maybe it's an easy one, maybe it's not. But you, you might think, well, that's it. if you're sitting next to one of your kids, that's an easy one. I would lay down my life for you. If you're sitting next to a stranger that you don't know, and I had you just turn and say, I'll lay down my life for you. It might come back at you and go, did I really say that sincere? Because those are big words, isn't it? I will lay down my life for you. Hereby perceive we the love of God that He laid down His life for us and we ought also to lay down our life for one another. But can we sincerely say that we would lay down our life for the ungodly. For somebody that we don't like. A coworker, A neighbor. Somebody that you just don't get on with at all. That you would lay down your life in love and God's love for a person like that. How about if, if, and I've thought of this before, but how about if if God were to call me to lay down my life for somebody that violated one of my daughters? Brutalized them. As hard as that is to even think about. That that kind of love that God has placed in our heart is the kind of love that is able to lay down a life for that. That's what we're talking about in 1 John 3.16 here. We ought also to lay down our life. We're to mimic Christ. Not in our own flesh, not in our own power, but in the power of His strength, His Spirit, His love. We all get blown away when we hear that person on the news when somebody just got gunned down, a family member, and that person's on the the TV going, you know what, I, I forgive them. I hate what they've done, but I forgive them, and we go, "Wow, how do you do that? How how do you even do that?" It's the Lord, and usually we sit back and go, "I must be a Christian. I must be the Lord in them." Versus, I think that when, when when you're able to to really wrap your head around that scenario, going back to this thing of my daughters and and that. And that being able to forgive somebody that would do that and actually lay down my life for a person like that, I think then you're getting a little bit closer to the love that God has for you. Now you're getting a little bit better of an understanding. Now we're we're starting to wrap our head around it a little bit better of what we're talking about. God demonstrated His love towards us and while we are yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 17 and 18, John gives us a practical example of what this love in action looks like. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He's asking a question. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We all know, especially those of us that are married couples here, that telling our spouse, I love you, They like it. Kathy likes it when I say I love you. But if I were to say I love you by doing something practical for you and showing you in a way of my love for you, she'd probably even like that better. Wouldn't you, Honey, I love you. Or honey, let me do this for you. Let me help you in this. you know, I mean, uh, uh, there's something about love in action versus just love with like this. Love you, you know. I love ice cream. And I love my wife. But we know that there should be a difference, maybe, but no there is. There is a difference. Indeed, and in truth. And so love is active. It's, it's like I said, love is a verb. It's an active word. Verse 19 says, And by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. You see, knowing this love and, and showing this love in action is what will bring a great assurance to your heart that you're a child of God. Knowing this love that we're talking about this morning and showing this love in action in your life brings great assurance to your heart that you truly are a child of God. Look at verse 20. And this is rightfully placed here because we're talking about human beings that do not always love the way we're talking about here in this, this text this morning, do we? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I'm glad this verse is there. Aren't you glad that your salvation is not based upon you feeling saved Because you know what? If you you feel saved today, you may not feel saved tomorrow depending on how good or bad of a day you've had. If your heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. In other words, do you think that we need to convince God that we're really a child of God? No. He already knows that you're a child of God or not. He knows if you are or aren't. Where we have a struggle is that we don't always have the assurance. We want to have the assurance in our heart that we're a child of God. He already knows if we are or aren't. We could be playing games with God and saying we are, telling everybody we are, but we're really not. If our heart condemns us, you can know this. It's not from God. You know why? Because it would violate another Scripture. The other scripture is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ, again, those who know Christ, who were who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. No condemnation. You know what it means to be uh, condemned? Or do you know what the word condemnation means? If there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, what he's saying is that you have you will never be judged guilty. You will never be condemned. You will never be sentenced to hell. Condemnation comes from the devil. Condemnation does, never comes from God upon His children. What does come upon us? Conviction. You ever been convicted for your sin? That's different from condemnation. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit when we get off base. When we sin, when we, we do something wrong, condemnation comes from the enemy that wants to come in and condemn. You. If you you know, look, yeah, you're not loving. Yeah, look at that. Look how you just look, that's love. Look how you're treating your wife. Look at what you're doing. That's not love. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to heap that condemnation upon you and say, if you were really a child of God, you say you're right. I don't think I am. A, I don't even know. Revelation 12.10 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and we're told that he does it night and day. Who does he do it before? He goes before God. Look at look at you. Look how you're living. Look what you've done. That's a child of God. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. In other words, if I feel this condemnation, if I feel like you know, maybe I'm not a child of God, does that change the promise of God's Word? No. If God saves you the moment you gave your life to Him and repented of your sin and gave your life to Him, if He did that, God doesn't change that truth. He doesn't say you're no longer my child. Spurgeon wrote this. He says, sometimes our heart condemns us. But in doing so, it gives a wrong verdict. And then we have the satisfaction of being able to take the case into a higher court. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ the righteous who stands on your behalf before God the Father and declares you as a child of God righteous in His Son. That's cause for rejoicing. So we should all be going, yeah! <laughs> Praise the Lord. But look at verse 21. Beloved Christians, if our heart does not condemn us, then what does it say we have? We have confidence toward God. That's the place I want to be in. I want to be in strong confidence in my relationship with the living God. If our heart, well, how would my heart not condemn us? Well, I'm desiring to be obedient to all of God's word. And I'm desiring to love my brethren. I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind and loving my neighbor as myself. And when I'm living in that way and living in a place in my walk of, of like that, I'm not listening to the enemy that's saying, oh, you Christian, you know, how you live look at you, look how you're, you know, I'm, I'm not even living it. If your heart does not condemn us, that's the place I want to be. Many times Christians that are walking a life of compromise and walking out, they rightfully should. Listen to what's being, you know, and go. man, you know, I'm I'm not walking. There's not a strong confidence. A matter of fact, if if I ask, sometimes you ask a Christian, where do you think he'd go if he died? I, I hope I'd go to God. I mean, I've been good lately. I've been, you know, I've been, I have been, you know, I've been, well, I've been messing up big time. I don't know where I'd go. That's not strong confidence. Strong confidence is when we know that we know. Remember what 1 John 5.13 says. It's another one of your memory verses. I brought this one up numerous times. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the Son of God. That you may know. Can a Christian know that they're going to go to heaven when they die? 100% One hundred percent, yes. Not ninety nine point nine percent. One hundred percent, yes. I can know where I'm going to go when I die. That's full assurance. Where does that assurance come from? Does it come from the person that prayed with you to receive Christ and they told you you were saved and you go, you know yeah but you know I don't know you know and, well that is, full assurance doesn't come from any human being. The full assurance that we're saved comes from God Himself to you that you truly are a child of God. And, and He's the one that, that brings about that assurance through obedience, through that love that we're talking about being uh, evidenced in your life. That you grow in your walk with Christ and you say, you know what? I am not the same person. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm not the same. I, I'm a different person than what I used to be. And that brings me strong confidence that I'm a child of God, that I'm a child of God excuse me we'll close with this verse 22 and whatever we ask we receive from him because he we keep his commandments this is a good one watch this whatever we ask we're talking about prayer we're talking about communicating with God we receive it from Him because why we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight you see obedience and love I believe are key to you experiencing answered prayer in your life in your walk with Christ 1 Peter 3.7 for us husbands. i got to speak to myself right now. 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Talking about our wives. Dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then it tells us this that your prayers may not be hindered, husbands. Wow. You, you're putting a contingency on my answer of prayer. If I, I have to treat my wife right and good for you to hear my prayers and answer? It sounds like it to me. Jesus said in John 15:7, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. When we're walking in obedience to God's word and we're following after the Lord wholeheartedly, I will tell you that more of your will is going to line up with the will of God and more of your prayers are going to be answered because the things that you're praying are falling in line with his will. And whatever is God's will, when you pray, God says, I will do it. The problem is, is we don't always know what His will is, and we play, pray uh, wanting for our flesh to, to put it upon. you know, and, and then God says, no, that's not good for you. I love you too much to let you have that and let you do that. Verse 23 and 24, this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of, the, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and do what? and love one another as He gave His commandments. He he really just says two things there. Believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He has given us commandment. It sounds like it's two things, but it's really one thing that He's saying here. It's written like it's two, but believing in Jesus and loving. But here's the thing, they go hand in hand. Those two things go hand in hand, believing and loving. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God placed his Holy Spirit in you the day you believed. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit Himself, this is talking about the Spirit of God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You say, explain that to me. What's that mean? Well, it's hard for me to explain. It's hard for you to put it into words. But what I believe it is saying, if I could put it this way, is that something supernatural happens in you the day you believe. And when God places His Holy Spirit inside of you and His Spirit agreeing with your spirit that you are a child of God, it would be like you saying to me, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? And you say, yes, I am. And I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's forgiven my sin. And I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God. His spirit agreeing with your spirit that you are a child of God. It's a supernatural work of God in the heart of a person that gives their life to Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, Thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.